Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, January 16th, 2023. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day, everyone. On the show today, Universal's expanding to Texas and Las Vegas. Disney announces opening and closing dates for a bunch of things, including Tron, and Disney lowers some prices. Plus, I attend the Reedy Creek Improvement District planning meeting, and I hear voices, not necessarily in that order. Also, we're number one, apparently. We have lots and lots to talk about this week. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that the great thing about a pie-eating contest is that even if you lose, you still get to eat pie. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well. And, and, and speaking of pie, Rosie Perez was on Live with Kelly and Ryan earlier today and revealed that the secret to making a truly superior blueberry pie involves putting super cold chunks of butter Inside yeah. your pie crust, just before before the whole thing goes in the oven. Really, inside. So I know, I know. Um, mixing the dough with frozen butter mm-hmm. yields a more flaky crust, but just before it goes into, evidently, yes. So you put the dabs of butter under the pie crust. Also, huh. uh, Rosie had some thoughts about just the right amount of lemon juice to fold into the fruit and. I have to say, Ms. Perez offered up some very solid advice. So who knew the, the star of White Men Can't Jump really knows how to bake? <laughs> about that? That is fantastic. All right. Uh, you'll have to send me some tips. Okay. We'll do. All right, Jim. Let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Talimad000, Michelle Wagner, Andrea DeFreitz, and Gary Zarelli. Gary. And longtime subscribers, Robert G. in Virginia, John Ray, and Morris Gregorian. I'm a fan of your calendars, sir. Jim, these are the folks whose voices you now hear coming from the second floor windows all around Epco's Morocco Pavilion, a bit of actual news that Laurel and I experienced last week in the parks. Now, some of the dialogue bits you can hear are suggestions about what to see in Marrakesh, where to get deals on souvenirs, and of course, will I see you tonight? I never make plans that far ahead. True story. (laughs) (sighs) I, I, again, I, I so look forward to this feature. I learned so much. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, I think this entire episode is going to be devoted to news because there's so much of it. So we had originally said that we were going uh, to do a, a show topic this week of uh, the history of the Swiss Family Treehouse. We're going to push that off to January 30th because we have another thing to do next week, which we'll talk about. So I think this episode is going to be entirely news Mm -hmm. and the ramifications. All right. Every show, Jim, should begin with a round of self-congratulations. Here are a few things that we predicted would happen that have now been announced. So we said last year that Tron's likely opening date was April and to expect previews in February or March. This week, Disney announced April 4th, 2023 as Tron's official opening date. And some folks have already got emails saying to watch out for preview dates before that. So I'm guessing late February or early March for those previews. If you're DVC or an annual pass holder, look out for emails to sign up for previews very, very soon. Uh, Also, we said on the D23 wrap-up show that Harmonious would be replaced with Epcot Forever and that the barges would likely not remain. And lo and behold, Jim, this week Disney announced that Harmonious' last day is April 3rd replacing with the interim Epcot Forever show, and that the Harmonious Barges would be removed. Yeah, well, okay. You win some, Jim. 
you'll lose some. (laughs) On the other hand, has anybody reached out to the folks at Taco Bell? They could put those barges out in major rivers around the country. Or maybe like Michigan. Like I could see these going down the Mississippi saying, live Moss. There we go. go. You know, I mean, it's an opportunity, right? Yeah. Here's the other interesting thing. Uh, Christina was at World Showcase. She's been in World Showcase all this week doing previews for Festival of the Arts. And she noticed that the Reedy Creek Fire Department was all over World Showcase on Wednesday looking at the fireworks launch points for Harmonious. So I think some of them are going to be removed, but others might be added to. I do hope they keep that set of, of fireworks launch points that are over in front of the Japan Pavilion. I think we've, that, we've specifically one of the ones that, that they were looking at. Okay. I, you know, I, I yeah. really want that one to stay because I, I wasn't a fan of harmonious, but man, the moment, you know, when that show <laughs> was ending, <laughs> that barrage began right in front there. That was worth the price of admission. Yeah, that's where one of those things that as you get older, you might want to invest in an adult diaper if you're standing over there just in this case it catches you true. by surprise. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Speaking of it, it reminds me, at one point years and years ago, I was up in the wine country. And I was up there for the 4th of July, and the inn I was staying at with a, with a friend, they were like, oh, you're going to love the fireworks show. And it's like, okay, so it comes a time we go out for the fireworks show. And it was the world's slowest fireworks show. <laughs> I mean, you would get one shell, and then you'd stand there for like five minutes, and then another shell. And I, I finally asked the guy at the end, what's going on? It's like, well, there's a veteran's home just over the hill. And <laughs> we don't want to, you don't want to do too much. <laughs> well, evidently, the way they explained it is that they'd launch a shell and then they'd walk around the house. Everybody cool? Everybody good? Everyone's okay. good? Everyone's good? <laughs> I off another one. I remember in the Sorbonne. <laughs> exactly. The Battle of the Bulge. All right. There we All go. Right, fair. So. All right. Likewise, Jim, we said that uh, based on fireworks testing, we saw over the summer at the Magic Kingdom that it looked like Happily Ever After was going to come back. And uh, lo and behold, last week, Disney's announced that Happily Ever After will return to the Magic Kingdom on April 3rd, 2023, replacing Disney Enchantment. So you can see the return of Happily Ever After on April 3rd, and the next night, the return of Epcot Forever on April 4th. That's going to be an interesting night for theme park buffs. I mean, Len, if you had to make the Sophie's Choice, would you be in Epcot for the last performance of Harmonious on the third or in the kingdom for the first performance of the return of Happily Ever After? I really don't like Harmonious, so I would be in the Magic Kingdom. The interesting thing, Jim, mm-hmm. is that Disney's doing some capacity planning with mm-hmm. these dates. Tron's opening date is April 4th in the Magic Kingdom. Epcot mm-hmm. Forever returns to Epcot on April 4th the same day mm-hmm. as well. So reservations are already booked up solid for the Magic Kingdom on April 4th, Mm -hmm. which means for people who can't get into Tron, the return of Epcot forever is a consolation prize. That's fine. I'm good with that. Interesting idea. Okay. All right, Jim, on to the big news. Universal Parks and Resorts announced two major expansions last Tuesday. One is a brand new theme park designed for families with small children to be built in Frisco, Texas. Now, Frisco is about... 30 minutes due north of Dallas. Mm -hmm. The quotes from the press release say this, the new park concept set in a lush green landscape and featuring immersive themed lands celebrates Universal's iconic brand of entertainment, humor, and innovation and brings to life its beloved characters and stories in ways that will allow even the youngest theme park goers. The proposed park will be designed to be more intimate 
and engaging for younger audiences, and it will be sized for a regional audience. It will be full of family-friendly attractions, interactive and playful shows, character meet and greets, unique merchandise, and fun food and beverage venues. Although smaller in size, it will still carry the same quality as Universal's other larger resort destinations. Part of 97 acres of land recently purchased by the company, the proposed park also has plans for an adjacent themed hotel and room for expansion. The entire area is intended to have a completely different look, feel, and scale than Universal's existing parks, and it will appeal to a new audience for the brand. So, Jim, uh, I think it's safe to say that we've heard that different theme park companies have looked at Texas. Oh, yeah. Uh, but to someone actually, for someone to actually pull the trigger on it mm-hmm. is really interesting. So what are, your, what are your thoughts on this? First of all, I want to hand off a, an interesting Google point for folks. When Len talks about companies looking at Texas, they include a certain mouse. Uh, in fact, if you, you Google the term Disney Texposition, you will see an equally ambitious yet small regional park design. There, there's a, a site plan out there for it. In fact, it gives you some idea of when this, the tires were being kicked on this idea, that it includes a version of the Adventurers Club, likewise mannequins. If we also pivot, you were just reading about a new audience for the Universal brand. Right. So this is specifically designed for younger audiences. It is. It is. But in talking with folks at Universal Creative, who, of course, nobody wants to go on the record, but what they point out is it's concept art. So you can't, you know, and more to the point, it's early concept art. So it's it's the classic, there's less there than meets the eye. Yeah. I mean, this is basically the, uh, the theme park fan equivalent of a Rorschach test. What do you see? There we go. However, yeah. there were a couple of giveaways. If you look at the entrance of the park and there's a circular white shape over the mm-hmm. entrance of the park. You know what else is also white and circular, Len? Uh, fine China. <laughs> well, that and the logo for DreamWorks Animation. Ah. Rule number one in the theme park world is do no harm to the motherships. The idea here isn't to take attendance away from Universal Studios Hollywood or, for that matter, the, the destination resort in Orlando. Right. So this may be, at this point, the DreamWorks Animation Park. And, in fact, if you want to know what IP will be in this park, November of last year, a brand-new DreamWorks Animation logo debuted. It features clips of the bad guys, Toothless mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. How to Train Your Dragon, Poe, from Kung Fu Panda, a uh, title mm-hmm. character from Boss Baby, Poppy from the Troll movies, as well as Shrek, Fiona, and Donkey. And those marquee DreamWorks characters are supposedly among those being considered for this new park. Likewise, the Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous series. Really? Yeah, which is on Netflix. And it's basically Jurassic Park for kids. And Right, right. Uh, the giveaway here is it, it's produced for Netflix by Amblin Entertainment, Universal Pictures, and DreamWorks Animation Television. Oh, so uh, so wait, Amblin and DreamWorks are both uh, Steven Spielberg. There we go. When it comes to who actually produces Jurassic World uh, Camp Cretaceous animated series, again, it's DreamWorks Animation Television. It's funny that you mentioned you know not affecting the mothership mm-hmm. because before the show, you and I were talking about 
some internal Disney research. I think this is part of the reason why Bob Chapek is no longer CEO, is that internal Disney research apparently is showing that Disney is losing ground with two groups of people, the over 50s because of politics Mm -hmm. and young families because of pricing. So if you're universal, right? I think we all agree that the Universal Orlando parks are designed for teens with the coasters, right? I think that's a fairly safe assumption. I mean, they've got, you know, rides for, for mm-hmm. smaller kids and stuff. But in general, I mean, things like Hulk and Velocicoaster and the Harry Potter stuff, those are for older kids, right? Mm-hmm. But by saying, here's a park that's in Texas that is specifically designed for young families, mm-hmm. number one, you are addressing um, a group that is priced out of Disney. Mm-hmm. Number two, you're not cannibalizing that group from Universal Orlando. Number three, when they get older, Jim, and they want to go to another Universal Park, when there those kids grow up from the small-scale attractions to thrill rides, mm-hmm. they'll go to Florida. And so I don't think here, I don't think, I think this is smart for Universal on, for three different ways. Number one, they're not cannibalizing um, Universal Orlando guests. And I don't, you know, I don't think Universal Hollywood is, is a major concern there. Number two, they're addressing a market that is now priced out uh, by Disney. But number three, they have a huge built-in audience in Texas. So if you look at, if you look at Texas, Texas is the second fastest growing large state behind only Florida. Mm-hmm. And it's the fifth fastest growing state overall. So Idaho, Utah, South Carolina, and Florida all grow faster. But um, Idaho, Utah, and South Carolina are all relatively small. Mm-hmm. Um, the weather in Idaho and Utah is such that you're not going to build a park there. Right? The metropolitan population of Orlando is 2.5 million people. Guess what it is in Dallas, Jim? Okay. Let's go nine. 7.5. Yeah. So three times larger mm-hmm. than Orlando, which means the built-in base of locals mm-hmm. is automatically three times larger in Dallas than it is in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Also, while Orlando was the country's third fastest growing city in 2020 at mm-hmm. 19%, Dallas was eighth at 16%. So it's starting from a much higher base and is not growing that much slower. So I think overall this, mm-hmm. I, number one, it's surprising because this is going to be a, a significant investment. Like if you told me this is going to cost $750 million to a billion dollars, mm-hmm. I would easily believe that. Certainly. But... It checks a lot of boxes, doesn't it? What fascinates me about this park is, again, this was something that Disney looked at. This very same region of the country, if you, you go back to the the mid-1980s, Disney, they actually they had a department like Disney Regional Entertainment. For example, when Disney kicked the tires of doing Pleasure Island as a franchise. and the, right. Pleasure they, Island, they've done a traveling show. There was the SS yeah, Disney. I mean, yeah, they've, yeah, looked yeah, at, yeah. they've looked at multiple iterations of this, but nothing of this side size in a permanent location. The difference here, Len, is Brian Roberts at Comcast, who loves the theme park business. Hmm. They started to acquire NBC Universal in December of 2009. They bought the majority share for from General Electric, and they got that in January of 2011. But in between there is when the very first Wizarding World opened at Universal Islands of Adventure. And there's this famous story about they finally got to the point in the merger talks where Universal could effectively open the kimono on the theme parks. So this is the fall of 2010. 
so the Comcast accountants weighed in and they, they look at what just happened over the summer. And they're like, are you kidding me? You recovered the entire $170 million it cost to build Wizarding World at Island's Adventure just on the sale of Butterbeer? Yeah. And it was like, yep. Does anyone else hear cash register singing or is it just me? <laughs> no, that's it exactly. And if you look at what happened after that, you know, as soon as Comcast completed the acquisition in 2013, they got everything from, from GE. They just turned the key. And if yeah. you look at everything that got built, that's Volcano Bay. That's Universal Beijing. Yeah. That's a Harry Potter in Osaka. That's a Harry Potter in Hollywood. That's Diagon Alley. These guys aren't kidding around, Len. No. I mean, they're, they've expanded across the uh, across I-4 with yeah. the, uh, the hotels, the dockside, yeah. endless summer. Yeah, resorts. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're doing it again with Epic Universe. Yeah, they're, they're serious. Hang on there, Len. We'll continue with more Universal related news in a moment. But first, this. I forget a lot of stuff. I, by that, I mean, I'll set my glasses down while I'm doing something around the house and then promptly forget where I left them. And since I need my glasses to actually find my glasses, you get the idea. And I'll bet you've forgotten some stuff, too, like one of those try-it-for-free-for-30-day subscriptions. As a direct result, you're now paying for a subscription that you don't use every single month. But you know how you can change that? Rocket Money. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want. Simply select the subscriptions you don't want and press cancel, and Rocket Money will then cancel them for you. I use this personal finance app to keep tabs on all the newspapers I subscribe to. I, I use their archives for research whenever I'm writing stories for the Disney Dish, and Rocket Money has saved me a ton, as it has for the over 3 million people who already have Rocket Money, saving the average person upwards of $720 a year. So stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash Disney Dish. That's rocketmoney.com slash Disney Dish. One more time for the kids in the back, rocketmoney.com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. And we're back. Oh, okay, Mr. Tessie, you were saying? Which brings us to the, the, the second half of your announcement here. <laughs> Is that Universal announced a new development in Las Vegas as well. So same day, Jim. And Jim, you and I were like, what, what is going on here? <laughs> we're texting each other. Like, All right. Well, so here's I, the I, yeah. I have to tell the, 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 this part of the story. Len shares this news with me. And I literally tweet back to him. This is like that Sunday night when the news about, about JPEG came in. And to the effect, <laughs> I'm looking and it's like, let somebody else confirm this, because I'm yeah, pretty exactly. sure <laughs> my, this is a my, my phone okay. was basically vibrating for 30 minutes. Yeah. Also, uh, uh, our friend Drew Taylor yep. uh, and I were, were already making dates for Las Vegas. <laughs> we're, we're going. Like, I don't yeah. know. So, so here's the, the Las Vegas thing. So mm -hmm. it's a, um, it is an extension of Universal Orlando's popular Halloween Horror Nights but year-round in Las Vegas. So here's the press release. Straight from Universal Parks and Resorts, the creators of Halloween Horror Nights, the world's most popular global Halloween event, comes a brand new permanent entertainment experience in Las Vegas. This original concept will bring to life Universal's vast library of classic horror films and today's most terrifying tales. 
with a variety of unique, immersive, fantastic horror-centric experiences that surround high-energy food and beverage spaces by day, turned haunting bars and eateries by night. The new concept marks the first time Universal has created a permanent horror experience beyond its theme parks. All right, so they go on for uh, with other details, but here's a couple of things. Number one, Jim, they're partnering with Area 15, which is already in Las Vegas and is home to the super cool uh, Meow Wolf Omega Mart. And you and I have talked about this oh, yeah. specifically, Omega Mart, as an inspiration for the Galactic Star Cruiser at Disney. Mm-hmm. So for the for folks who don't remember the the conversation, imagine Omega Mart is an interactive role playing game that takes place inside a grocery store from another dimension. Okay. It's developed by these, uh, an artist collective called Meow Wolf, and it is super popular. It started in 2020, I believe, you know, perfect time in the middle of a pandemic, Jim, to launch an, an in-person interactive thing. They still sold 1.7 million tickets the first year. And I believe the press release said more than 4 million people have visited now at the end of the second year, which would put the second year attendance at around 2.3 million visitors. That's amazing. That's pretty good for being an off-strip Las Vegas thing. So Las Vegas gets around 32 million visitors annually. This location, Area 15, is about two miles due west of roughly the Wynn and Encore at the north end of the Strip. So quick Uber drive over. They're not pulling directly from the Strip, but it's a relatively short drive away. And let me say, Jim, uh, I go to Vegas every year, at least once. I never leave the Strip. It is extremely rare for me to leave the Strip because, number one, I like the spectacle of it. Uh, I'll, I'll go to downtown, but between okay. downtown and the strip, I don't. I don't go like east or west. Mm-hmm. I would make a special trip to Area 15 for Meow Wolf mm-hmm. and Omega Mart, and for this, like that is that cool. Again, if you understand, just within the last month to six weeks, we've mm-hmm. had the two Universal escape rooms open. Escape rooms, right? Yeah, and I've been clued into the fact that supposedly the plan for this sort of Halloween Horror Night themed standalone, which, by the way, it's what I guess they, they were banding about what what one hundred and ten hundred ten thousand square feet. Yeah. So I have a question into somebody who knows a lot about Halloween Horror Nights, and I'll leave mm-hmm. it at that. Yeah. Asking how many square feet is a typical Halloween Horror Night house? Mm-hmm. And honest to God, Jim, it's like talking to a Dracula as a real estate agent. Like, yeah. well, well, do we count the areas with the coffins or no? <laughs> What are, we, what are we doing here? Like, what do we do? We count the dungeons. Is that counted in living space? I, you know, I don't know. Like, dude, best guess here. Best guess. What about what about the pits? Do the pits count as living space? I don't like, know. This is roughly the square footage of five. Of the on, on average five. I, of, I heard. I heard four plus. Yeah. Okay. okay. So yeah. All right. Okay. So if you factor in the notion of this will be one of these things where the Universal Escape things that we have just opened at City Walk in Orlando are kind of a proof of concept. And with the idea that you can upsell at this Halloween event. Mm, You said the magic word there, Jim. Yep. So So did you notice Mm -hmm. that Area 15 on their website now has a giant banner that says, you know, we can be rented out for corporate gigs. 
There we go. <laughs> I read that. I'm like, oh, Jim Hill, Jim at jimhillmedia.com. Dear Jim, please note the following verbiage. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I was talking with someone who was working on this project who was associated with, do you remember Disney's Night Kingdom? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea of the, the park that would only be open at night from four to midnight or, or yeah. daylight savings time from five to and, and it went around it had a couple of iterations, right? It did. It was it, it was did, pirate themed at one point. It was yeah. There were a lot of uh, you know, they kicked the tire and uh, in fact what's interesting is we'll be talking on our next show about the chunks that survived that project that wound up going over to Animal Kingdom. But anyway, the plan was that during the day Night Kingdom would be available for corporate groups and conventions that were staying on Disney property for uh, team building, team building things, exercises. Yeah. Yeah. They would also offer behind-the-scenes tours, that sort of thing. And evidently, this is the playbook for the Halloween horror thing for Vegas, that during the day, it yeah. will be available for, for corporate parties. It will also be able, you know, people who like the uh, lights-on tours that they yeah. do dur- during the day uh, uh, Universal Orlando. and, and I, I totally see it because it, uh, next week's show, we're going to be talking about it's the anniversary of the launch of the Wild Africa Trek. There you go. Mm-hmm. At Animal Kingdom. And I've done that. And if you think about that as a team building exercise instead of a sort of one off tour, it totally makes sense. Yep. Yep. The other thing I like about Universal doing this in Vegas is mm-hmm. let's say that there are four ish houses, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, with short lines or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. each house takes roughly 30 minutes. For a group to get through, you know, wait in line, get through, walking slowly, mm-hmm. get out, talk a little bit about it, and go on to the next one, right? Take photos or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's a good two hours right there. And after two hours, Jim, you want to snack. Mm-hmm. So they've got food and bev there. Mm-hmm. And then you do a couple of other things. All of a sudden, you know, you're there from like 7 to 11. It's an evening. You're done. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's a great half-day thing. It's fantastic. Think about how what people have been saying about the Universal Escape Room. With Each escape room has its own bar. Yeah. And, and what other city celebrates alcohol quite like that, Len? Yeah, no, yeah. other than Las Vegas, no. Did, did we get in a date for either of these parks? Because 2025 seems like the most logical one, but I'm thinking a lot of stuff is happening at Universal in 2025. Well, there we go. <laughs> uh, what I heard was... 2026, just because, you know, yeah. and don't get me wrong, Head they are, off. you know, I mean, steel is flying up yeah. over and next to the Orange County Convention Center for Epic Universe. Yeah, I drove by there uh, last weekend. Yeah. Yep. So it, it, you know, they're not kidding over there, but let's concentrate on doing that. And oh, by the way, just to throw one more thing on the pile, it occurred from a friend of the show, Len. That Universal may also be eyeing another project, one that might involve building a park in Europe. So they may not be mm. done with news. Yeah, I, uh, I drove by Epic Universe Sunday evening, and, and I was um, I wasn't I wasn't driving. I was in the car, okay. but I was trying to like keep an eye on traffic because the person who was driving was kind of crazy. I was like, let's not die, mm-hmm. um, but like. I was looking at the window. I'm like, are those cranes actually moving? Like, is someone working the cranes this late at night on a Sunday? Or is my driver just that bad? And though they were working cranes, like they had the lights out and everything. And it was like, what are you paying a second shift Sunday crane operator? Universal doesn't screw around when it comes to construction. I mean, face it, we just talked at the top of the show about Tron Light Cycle Run finally opening on April 4th. 
after yeah. four years of construction, whereas Universal got its Transformer attraction open in Florida in nine months left. I just wonder, like, is Universal, if I went over to that crane operator, is there someone carrying, like, bags of Benjamin Franklin hundreds <laughs> over there? Like, are, is there, are, do they have, like, you know, you know, like, North Korea does really good counterfeit hundreds. Like, is there someone at Universal who's, like, really good at Italian printing right now who's got, like, fluorescent threads and stuff? Or are they just, they're just firing money out? Anyway, you know, I don't want to know. I, I don't necessarily need to know. The okay, answer to that question. Okay. I might be happier not knowing, Jim, is what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> On the other hand, if you look carefully up in the cab, there's probably that IV that's filled full of espresso and amphetamines, and they're just moving along. Whatever. Again, yeah. Jim, you know, you need to make an omelet. You got to break some eggs. All right. There you go. So. All right. Let's do some other uh, Disney announcements, and then I want to talk about my visit to the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Mm. So, a couple of other Disney announcements uh, that were actually pretty surprising. Number one, Disney's dropping the nightly parking fee for Disney Resort guests mm -hmm. and going back to offering complimentary parking. So these costs were $15, $20, or $25 a night, depending on if you're a value moderate or deluxe resort. Again, this wasn't for DVC people. But still, Jim, for Disney to give up a parking fee. Well, Len, now remember what you just said about the two demographics that are, seem to be slipping out of Disney's hands. And again, yeah. you know... That, you know, one is the adults over 50 in politics, and that's going to be a hotter yeah, um, yeah, $15 nightly party fee is not the reason why they're leaving, right? No. Okay. But on the other hand, for a family that is looking at a, a stay at a value resort or, or that sort of thing, the fact that it was $15 a night, the, the, the values, right? Or Yeah, $15 a night. So if you're staying for four nights, it's $60. Mm -hmm. It takes some of the bite out of going to Walt Disney World. But on the other hand, there's been so much lately about, let's get the parade going for Bob Iger. It's like, I want to remind everybody that when this parking fee got started back in March. It, it was Bob Iger. Yeah, there exactly. we go. Yeah. There yeah. We go. Literally the first email I got after this announcement was, that's great. Now do Magical Express. There we go. Which I think summarizes the community reaction to this. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. It's good that they're eliminating a fee, right? But yeah. The thing we haven't talked about, Jim, is mm -hmm. the activist shareholders who have been buying up shares of Disney stock, mm -hmm. advocating for board of director seats so that they could get Disney to raise to make to make more money. So the interesting thing from a Bob Iger perspective is that he's sort of being pressured on both sides. Yeah. Number one, by young families. Mm -hmm. Who are saying things are too expensive. And mm -hmm. on the other hand, by these activist shareholders who are saying you need Disney to make more money. And remember, we, we've also just learned that we have a new chairman of the board, right. Susan Arnold, after 15 years. It, you know, and again, that, that keyed off of language within the board itself. That's not a voter confidence for, for Susan or, or the like. But yeah. Also, there was a there was an aging out, right? There's, a, there's only a certain amount of time that you can spend on the board before you. So there some of the go. some of this was a little sort of like we have to do it anyway. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I have to admit, I am just fascinated that we are now in the middle of January and we still don't know when and where the annual shareholders meeting is being held. That's one thing. So a couple of other, a couple of things that um, that I find interesting around the board. Uh, two things. One, one of the things that the board is specifically working on is a formal succession planning committee. 
Yes. Yeah. Specifically for Bob Iger. Like when Iger came back last year, the, the commitment was for two years. And you and I have talked about like, it's probably going to be closer to two than five. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But this seems to indicate that two means two or pretty mm-hmm. close to two. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing, and I don't, we haven't talked about this and I don't know if it's been public, but I've heard mm-hmm. that the theme park capital budget has been increased by more than a billion dollars. I don't remember who told it to me or where I heard it. I'm still looking for confirmation of it, but I heard quietly like, here's another billion for theme parks mm-hmm. in 2023. Yeah, and a billion doesn't go quite as far as- No, a billion is like two big attractions, right? Yeah. But two big attractions is, let me do the math. Two big attractions is, hold on one second, carry the one. Two big attractions is two more than we have now. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> there we go. I had to go back. I got, I got the calculator um, right. Yeah. But at the same time, to look at like just the announcement today, like uh, Tiana's Kitchen, the the redo. Yeah. I love that, actually. This is a great idea. It is. It is. But the folks who actually go to Disney and pointed out, it's like, well, that restaurant was difficult to get into before it got a pretty One problem princess- at a time, Jim. One problem at a time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, number one, it makes sense. It's in New Orleans Square. Thematically, it fits. Like my big thing is always like, does this? You know, are you trying to fit a square peg into a round hole? No, I think that I think that's great. Plus, I mean, there'll be different food, so that's always good too. So, all true. Uh, last bit of a uh, Disney announcements: uh, guests who purchase Genie Plus will also get Photo Pass for attraction photos. So, this was a free thing. I don't know that this is going to move the needle necessarily. I guess it's just a nice bullet point on a press release. It's always nice to have attraction photos. I tend to look at them for like five minutes, put them on social media, and that's the end of it. I mean, it's nice. It's mm-hmm. a good publicity thing, I guess, for Disney. Well, no, no. That's it exactly. You know, if folks pushies out through social media and, yeah, exactly. and happy families enjoying the Disney parks. What was it? I want to say it was the Hollywood Reporter or Variety that did that sort of expose on you know behind the scenes and the Bob Chapek thing and and. Iger kept talking about how he felt like what was going on was a battle for Disney's soul. And Oh, have you talked to Drew about this? <laughs> All right. So a couple of other things, Jim, before I talk about the Reedy Creek thing. A couple of other things I did this week. Um, I mentioned the uh, new voices at Morocco, and that's actually true. So Laurel and I were walking through uh, the Morocco Pavilion two nights ago. And when you and I were here in December for our Gingerbread event, we walked through the Morocco Courtyard which I said was actually my favorite place you in did. all of World you Showcase, did. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I like it at night too. And Laurel and I were there. I figured a little romantic stroll through my favorite part of World Showcase would be nice. We go in there and I hear voices. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, was there someone up there doing construction? Mm-hmm. You know, at eight o'clock at night? That's where No, they have they've added dialogue mm-hmm. to the second floor windows. Of the Morocco Pavilion. So, you know, like on, in the Magic Kingdom, on Main Street, mm-hmm. that first cul-de-sac to the right, oh, where yes. it's the dentist office and the piano teacher, mm-hmm. and you can hear people talking in the windows like there's actual people. Same mm-hmm. thing in the Morocco Pavilion. So, Jim, my first question is, why this? Why now? And let me let me add – so I'm talking I, – immediately I call Chrissy. I'm like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. guess yeah. what's going on? And she said mm-hmm. when she was there – she watched a bunch of Imagineers walking around with laser pointers and laser laser measurement devices talking about which walls in the Morocco Pavilion were load-bearing. Yeah. How many years now has it been since Morocco officially walked away from sponsoring? 
pandemic, so 2020, so three years now. Okay. Two and a half. This is Epcot. This is still the park that doesn't appeal to kids. That Morocco has always been lovely to look at and has mm-hmm. amazing aspects to it. Love the architecture, yeah. But what do you do? What do you do, man? Yes, and this is now what's on the table. And just going to suggest is that there's a certain street rat that was very, very popular who, who might have a bigger presence in, in this part of the park in the not-too-distant future. Well, first of all, whoever actually did the voices for Morocco, whoever came up with the idea and did it, kudos to you. Mm-hmm. You could have added extra voices to Haunted Mansion or Pirates or whatever. Mm-hmm. Thank God you did that. that Wonderful go. choice. Mm-hmm. Excellent work. Fantastic. 100, 100% approval mm-hmm. ready for that. I think it's fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's... There's a lot you could do in the Morocco Pavilion. So that's Very much so. And it, it, don't get me wrong. I love the fact that you can get into Cafe Marrakesh now and same thing. So much wonderful construction and so much yeah. amazing detail. It was actually closed that uh, closed that night. But yeah, they, they were using it sort of as a um, guest rest area. Yeah. And it's literally kind of like using the Vatican for a, a photo stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could do better here. Yeah, there's, We yeah. could do better. There's a lot of potential in that pavilion. I think it's underutilized. All right, Jim, a couple of other quick things. Laurel and I had dinner at Toledo, Tapas Steaks and Seafood, at the Grand Destino Tower the other night. The amazing thing, Jim, about this dinner is that with AP discount, it came out to $101.50 before gratuity. So, Jim, dinner for two at a Disney restaurant for 100 bucks. That's impressive, Len. So, uh, so here's what we had. So it's all Tapas, right? We had the uh, uh, Rioja Braised Chorizo. Uh, $15. The uh, the bread with tomato, the pan katamat, $12. The uh, bowl of olives, the flight, uh, which is $11. The flight of four pinkstos, mm-hmm. uh, which was $13. That's a chilled mussels escabiche, an olive oil poached tuna with lemon, uh, a tortilla española, and a Spanish potato omelet with blue cheese, fig, and honey. We also had the shishito peppers, $8. The uh, And then we both had desserts. I had the Toledo Tapas Bar dessert, $12. Laurel had the chocolate avocado mousse. She also had a drink, a gin and tonic, which was the most expensive thing at uh, $16.50. after my own heart. You know, right? Okay. <laughs> and I had a, a, a bottled water, actually, the Avion, for $6. So with tax and with an AP discount, $101, Jim. That's quite an impressive meal. Yeah, and, and the thing was, I was full. Like at the end of it, we were right before we did order desserts. I was like, "Do you want to order the charcuterie plate for two, which was like the thirty nine dollars?" And both of us were like, yeah, "I'm not gonna, I'm not that hungry anymore." Yeah, it, it was really good. Service was excellent. Hmm. Um, no trouble getting in. I made the reservation the day before. Hmm. So yeah, so for a hundred bucks, a really nice dinner in a very nice restaurant cannot go wrong there. So afterwards, Jim Laurel and I walked around Coronado Springs because it was. Beautiful night. It was like 70 degrees. Mm-hmm. You know, the sun was setting. The lights were on at Coronado. And I think, you know, other than the Grand Destino part of Coronado, it's really pretty, right? Mm-hmm. So we're walking through. And one of the things that we were, we were talking about, we we're trying to figure out as we were going through, like, which specific buildings got demolished mm-hmm. to make the Grand Destino Tower. And Laurel had this interesting question, which I would like to give mm-hmm. to our listeners. And the question is this. If you had to destroy one of the all-star resorts and replace it with a tower, which all-star resort would it be? And what theme would you give the tower? Hmm. So I did a quick poll of this on uh, on social media, hmm. and three out of four people said all-star sports. 
<laughs> like, geez. You would think it would be like 33%, 33%, 30, you know, 36% or 35%, whatever. And no, it was like, yeah, all-star sports. Just demolish it right now. <laughs> wow. There's a story there, Len. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so tell us what all-star resort you would, uh, you would demolish and what you'd replace it with. All right, Jim, last thing we want to talk about. Uh, so I went, a friend, a friend, Jim, emailed me Tuesday, the January 10th, and said, hey, what are you doing tomorrow morning, Wednesday? I'm like, ah, you know, I got some work to do. She's like, you should go to the Reedy Creek Improvement District meeting. It's publicly, you know, it's, public, it's open to the public. It's at 9 a.m. I'm like, okay, why? And he's like, just go, or she, it's just, you know, just go. Okay. So, okay. So I, you know, I promised Laurel uh, breakfast at Disney Springs afterwards. And, and so we, we both went. And uh, originally I was like, you know, are they going to, is Reedy Creek, you know, going to propose at this meeting, issuing a hundred billion dollars in non-early <laughs> redemption bonds, right? Like is that, is that why I'm supposed to be here, right? To notice this, right? Also, uh, I've never been to a public meeting like this before. I'm 99% sure Laurel and I were the only non-Disney, non-Reedy Creek people at the meeting because it seemed like everyone knew everyone, right? Okay. So when you get there, you have to present photo ID. They give you a badge with your photo and your name on it so that they know you're a visitor and everything. So most of the meeting was was straightforward. Approval of the meeting minutes from the last meeting, getting approval for new representatives and such, right? But Reedy Creek asked for to do a first reading of a land use resolution that covered a bunch of things. And sort of the way that the meeting worked was they asked to introduce this land use resolution. And the land use resolution goes on for dozens of pages. And they didn't read the entire land use resolution, but one of the um, Reedy Creek Board of Supervisors said, could you just summarize for us what's in this land use resolution? And it was things like moving around some wetland areas, right? Road development. Oh, by the way, the Magic Kingdom flyover that's coming back from the Grand Floridian, mm-hmm. you know, that from Grand Floridian way back towards World Drive, that's mm-hmm. going to open February 1st. Like, that was part of the meeting. There we go. I, I don't think that's been publicly announced yet. But anyway, okay. it was like, you know, we got some wetland stuff over here. We got some road construction stuff. Yada, yada. You know, th- this thing, that thing. It's uh, also um, to increase, uh, uh, increase the maximum number of hotel rooms mm-hmm. on property, to increase the maximum number of major theme parks by one, and to increase the maximum number of minor parks by two. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, Jim is every at this point. I'm like, okay, let me start taking some notes, right? Like, yeah. what what's going on here? So, some background. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the Reedy Creek Improvement District, as you know, Jim, creates a comprehensive long term plan roughly every decade. The last one was approved in 2010. It was called the 2020 Comprehensive Long Term Plan. But because of the pandemic, they didn't do a 2030 plan. It looks like. The 2020 plan was adopted as the 2032 plan from the May 25th, 2020 meeting. If you go back and look at the meeting uh, minutes, agenda item 6i seems to indicate that they adopted the comprehensive long-term plan. And that comprehensive long-term plan already said, we want the ability to build one more major theme park, and uh, one more major park, and by that they mean theme park, and two more minor parks. And I specifically asked the question in the meeting. So somewhere in the meeting minutes, there's my official name Mm -hmm. asking the question, what's a minor park? And Mm -hmm. the exact answer was, you know, like a water park. Mm -hmm. So this was my question. And I started asking Reedy Creek this subsequently, and I think they just got exasperated Mm -hmm. and said, you know, basically said, I don't have any more information. My first question was, was there an approved land use resolution for all of this before? Like, if the plan that we're working on, which includes 
one major park and two minor parks. If this goes all the way back to 2010, mm-hmm. right? Why pick Tuesday, January 11th, 2023 to do a land use resolution? Why had you not done it in the previous 12 years? Why Wednesday? Mm-hmm. And I didn't really, and they're like, oh, this happens all the time. I'm like, really? Because it seems like it happens less than once a decade, right? <laughs> like, why, why now? Mm-hmm. And, and so if there already was one, why do you yep. need another one? Because this one, I have the meeting minutes, doesn't have an end date on it. It's not like it says, you know, you've got approval to expand as long as you do it by, you know, December 31st, 2045 mm-hmm. or whatever, right? This doesn't have an end date. So if they already had one, if this was no big deal mm-hmm. and they'd already done it, why do you need another one? And if you hadn't done it, again, why ask for it now? And my second, my subsequent question is be like, why would you ask for just one more major theme park and two more minor parks? Why not ask for like 10 of each, right? If you're going to raise the maximums, why not just do it all at once? Okay. I, I, can... I, have, I have one more question too, right? Sure. Why include hotel rooms? Mm-hmm. So if there was a, another land use resolution that covered the hotel rooms that have already been developed between 2010 and 2023, Mm-hmm. Why do you need this one, right? So that that leads me to believe that there is more hotel room expansion. And if there wasn't one, does that mean like like who goes to jail for not having a land use resolution for the hotel rooms that were developed, right? Also, yeah. again, based on all of my follow up questions by me and other media organizations, I am certain that the Reedy Creek Improvement District does not get questions from the general public on a regular basis. And as I pointed out to them at the end of my last call. One side effect of allowing the general public to ask questions at meetings mm-hmm. is that you have to answer questions from the general public at meetings, right? It's just, these are the rules. So true. That, and let me say, everyone was super nice. And mm-hmm. I, I apologize for being a pain. A lot of this is like you know, asking questions, but you know, it is sort of like civic back and forth. I don't think I, I don't think I stepped over any lines here. I just asked for clarification on things. Yeah. The, the Reedy Creek Improvement District has basically operated in the shadows for years. It, it's only in the last two years with the whole situation in Florida and Governor DeSantis and so on yeah. and so forth. And they have had to deal with being in the spotlight after yeah. all the uh, decades. And I think they were trying to figure out like, like, why are you asking these questions? And I was yeah. like, look, I, I huge fan of Reedy Creek, right? Yeah. Like this is, we're all cool here. Yeah. So why Wednesday, January 11th, Jim, for this stuff? The 90s ends in 2000, which is when the next land use plan you know, would have been brought up. And right, remember, 2000 to 2010, yeah. Okay, remember, you know, we had Animal Kingdom open in April of 1998, and then we had the situation where attendance dropped at both the Disney's Hollywood Studio and Epcot. And they literally slammed on the brakes about further development in regard to parks at that point. The plan they had in place for the 90s going into 2000 is like, let's just leave that in place and figure out what's going on. And then right. if you think about the 2000s, you had the one-two punch of 9-11, 9/11 and, then, and the then the financial, financial crisis, crisis in 2008. And so by the time you get to 2010, it's like, this is fine. Let's leave this right You know, right things now. are great. You know, just, you know, steady as she goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the funny thing you mentioned is looking at the 2010 plan. Yep. It's broken up into two five-year segments. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the first five-year segment, the yep. maximum number of theme parks they can add is zero, according mm-hmm. to the plan. And yep. then it's one in the second half of the de- decade. So, yeah, if you're 2010, you're coming out of the financial crisis. You're like, you know, 
we're good. <laughs> we're good yeah. until we're well, good until 2015. Maybe in the second half of this decade, yeah. we'll, we'll we'll think about adding another theme park. I get it. So apparently, there's a two part process, right? There's yep. part of one part is mm-hmm. it needs to be part of the comprehensive long term plan. Mm-hmm. The second part, if you want to develop it, I guess, is you have to have an approved land use resolution, which I'm thinking they did not do in 2010 mm-hmm. because if they did, they don't have expiration dates. Why do it now? Which leads me back to the, the second question is why Wednesday, January 11th, 2023? I mean, I have an idea. If you're a, a certain mouse and you are aware of what the folks down the street are doing, yeah. you suddenly having something that perhaps needs to be comparable to Epic Universe has to become a priority. We have seen Disney blink twice in the past decade. You know, Wizarding World of Harry Potter opens. Less than 18 months later, you see Disney acquire the theme park rights to Avatar. And then a few months after that, they go after Lucasfilm. There's only one major franchise not yet locked up, Jim. Today, you and I have been watching on social media the technical rehearsal going on at, at Universal Hollywood for Super Nintendo World. Yeah, our, our friend Guy is over there now. Right yeah. there, right now. Yeah, he's right there right now, yeah. If you talk with anybody in Imagineering, it's like when we saw what happened with Harry Potter, we knew, okay, maybe Avatar. Oh, Star Wars. Yeah, that's definitely a response. Disney hmm. does not have a response to Super Mario Brothers. Well, the funny thing is, is you and I are actually planning a trip out to Hollywood <laughs> in March to they go are. see this thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is an interesting moment for Disney. You know, the notion of, okay, we acknowledge we need to do something to respond to this idea. But with late the move to Lake Nona off the table. The thing that I thought was interesting was like, we're, we're looking at a land use resol- uh, resolution to right. expand in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And then two hours later, we get this announcement that Universal is moving to Texas and yeah. Las Vegas. It's like two completely different strategies. Absolutely. There yeah. and you're and like you and I were texting. We're like, what? What is going on? Yeah. Right now. Yeah. So the other the other uh, thing that I heard about this, mm-hmm. so I I, t- I totally get like you know Disney wants to be flexible for things like Epic Universe and whatnot. Mm-hmm. The other thing I heard was, and this is also I think feasible in terms of an explanation, is mm-hmm. let's say that Disney at the end of the year or in the middle of the year, no longer controls all of the seats on the board of supervisors for the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Mm-hmm. If there's anything that they want to get done in the next 10 years, mm-hmm. it is easier to get approval now from this board than potentially some other board six months from now. That is a very interesting point. If there's anything, any I that needs to be dotted, any T that needs to be crossed mm-hmm. that they could potentially want to do, Mm-hmm. Right. Where, like, again, a land use amendment, reading that into the record mm-hmm. is a formality mostly, but it's a necessary formality and it's a necessary step one. Right. An adversarial board of supervisors could do a lot to block that. Why not just do it now if you could? <sighs> and I think there might be some truth to that. We'll know in six months. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I got to do my uh, my civic stuff. Again, my apologies to everybody at uh, Reedy Creek for all of the questions. Mm-hmm. And then uh, all of the uh, all of the questions they got from the national press on that did not intend for uh, anybody to, to spend their entire day doing that. We just thought it was interesting. All right. Well, Jim, uh, we, we said we uh, were going to push off the Disney's Swiss Family Treehouse episode until the 30th. Um, but that's going to do it for this show today because we've already gone on for Okay, now. cool, cool, cool. 
All right. So uh, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. We will find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. And Jim, you know, I just completed a two-part series on Walt Disney's 300-plus page FBI file, which, by the way, Jim, I was meeting with some kids from Elon College today in mm -hmm. Epcot. They're down uh, doing a psychology of happiness at Disney class. And one of them was actually referencing something related to the FBI file also. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, you know, it worked out well. Right? Okay. Okay. On next week's show, Jim, January 23rd, it's the anniversary of Animal Kingdom's Wild Africa Trek. And Jim explains how tours like these are now essential parts of Disney's theme park revenue stream. Also, fun fact, I went on the very first Wild Africa Trek on its opening day, and Joe Rohde was there. So we'll have lots of stories to talk about. Can't uh, wait to hear those <laughs> stories. <laughs> I've met Joe Rohde like 17 times, but each time I'm like, I'm lying. You know, yeah, anyway. <laughs> you <can find> it. <laughs> it's, it's it's like we both have short-term memory problems. I'm sure he doesn't know who I am, and that's fine. That's fine. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, lenitstouringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be performing Flying Saucer, Rock and Roll, Vicar in a Tutu, and other blues-influenced songs at the 2023 Rockabilly Reunion this coming February 17th to the 19th, 2023, at the Lake Havasaw State Park beautiful downtown Lake Havasaw City, Arizona. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. And speaking of the show, Jim signed us up to get an email every week that shows how the Disney Dish ranks on iTunes podcast charts every week. And I finally looked at this, Jim, this email this week. <laughs> We've been getting it for a couple months, right? We have. And, this, and the surprising thing to me was that this show, like the mm -hmm. one you're listening to right now, is usually the number one ranked iTunes travel podcast for at least a couple of days when it comes out every week. And it stays in the top four for episodes a little while longer. And the, the show isn't ranked as high, right? The individual episodes are because the, the show isn't because some podcasts put out more than one episode a week and that mm -hmm. boosts the ratings. But, uh, and, or they're only available on iTunes or whatever. But the individual episodes do really well, which is really amazing to me, Jim, because I never look at ratings for the show. I listen to the show every mm -hmm. week, right? Yep. But I never look at the ratings. This is what's ironic about this whole situation, Lynn, is that that comes in, I look at it, I never listen to the show. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I, I have the, the, the work ethic of a shorter cook. You know, yeah, it's, it's on to the next thing. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah. You, well, you do, you do several shows. I do the one, right? Okay, there we go. But the funny thing is, is like, like I, I tell people this all the time. Mm. Like, you and I do a show that we want to listen to. Yep. And so when I listen to the show, I listen mm -hmm. to it from the perspective of like, does it sound, is the sound quality good, right? You mm -hmm. know, just, is the production value good? And Aaron does a great job on that. But like, oh, is don't. the subject matter entertaining? Do we keep mm -hmm. the pace going? And ultimately, is this a show that I, at the end of listening to, like, I was like, okay, that was fun. Mm -hmm. And most of our shows, I'm like, yeah, that was, you know, that was solid. So it's kind of funny because we we're basically doing the show for ourselves, mm -hmm. and and people apparently love it, which is great. So uh, so thank you to everyone who listens to the show for making uh, it the number one podcast on iTunes a couple of days per week. I really appreciate I, I it. Just, but at the same time, I just I now that I know that la la la, never look again. La, la, I know. Oh, well, never. You know what? I'm I'm good with that memory. Number one. Yeah. There so, we go. Get yeah. Uh, it's kind of awesome. Anyway, right. yeah. Thank you guys for uh for making the show number one. I really appreciate it, and and, and Jim does too. Mm -hmm. And for Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.